Hello and welcome to Hightailing Through History, High Tales of History's Tall Tales. Each week, two sisters get together, get high, and like to surprise each other with stories from history. It's a casual hangout. Welcome to our smoke circle. I'm glad you're here. Hello and welcome to Hightailing Through History, episode 28. My name is Laurel. I'm glad you were counting. This is Katie. <laughs> I had to do a little quick tally in my head before we jumped in. Yeah, so a lot's been going on uh, the last couple of weeks, but we hope you're all hanging in there and just, I mean, w- what can you do, I guess, but... Um, maintaining sanity. Yeah, I hope you're maintaining sanity. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your mental health. Take care of each other, too. Yep. And um, Take a break a- from social media. That's what yeah, I did. take a social I media had break. To. Take a news break. Mm-hmm. I straight up just went to audiobooks. Not that I don't love podcasts. I have a lot of podcasts, and I think after this week I'm going to be able to binge on all of them again, but it's just been I needed to, like, stop information from coming in, so mm-hmm. I put on, like, my favorite audiobooks, and I was like, oh, yeah. thank God I can come back to you, yeah. my place of safety and security. It's like a blankie. Yeah. Do what you need to do for yourself to take take care of yourself and, um, you know, be kind to yourself and, and to others, but and to find yourself, you know, like that's don't overload yourself with all the information. But um, so we have a little bit of housekeeping to start with. First off, we have a giveaway going on because our last episode where we had Daniel Burghardt, author of The Things They've Seen on the podcast, which I hope you liked that episode. That got some good, yeah, um, some I good hope so. feedback and, and, um, I mean, I hope everybody else liked it. I really, I enjoyed making it. That was very exciting. We had a very good time. (laughs) I don't know if you guys could could hear all that through (laughs) through your ears of how much fun we were having, but we had a really great time with Daniel, and we are doing a giveaway of his book. So, in order to get into said giveaway, follow Hightailing Through History on Instagram. Also, follow Eyewitness History, which is Daniel's Instagram page. And then the second part is rate and review wherever you listen to Hightailing Through History and um, leave us a review, take a screenshot of said review and DM it to us on Instagram. I'm going to put all that in writing in the show notes down below. <laughs> Type out these directions for me, please, <laughs> won't you? Direct links to both us and Daniel on Instagram and then just screenshot a review on whatever platform you leave it and then just DM it to us on Instagram. Or if you're on Facebook, you can send it there. Here's the first part of housekeeping. The second bit of housekeeping is that one of our fellow history podcast friends who has a podcast called The Life and Times of Frederick the Great is donating half of all of his ad revenue to the situation in Ukraine. The episodes are really short. They're like 15 to 20 minutes long. So Good for a drive to work. Yeah. And half of all of his ad revenue now. And then he said, as long as the conflict lasts, he mentioned that in his episode, Mm -hmm. saying that this is what he wants to do for the time being and for the foreseeable future and donate half of his ad, rev- ad revenue to relief relief in Ukraine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just putting that out there, I'll put a link to his show in the show notes as well too, just in case you're sitting there wondering, what can you do? That's something very simple and easy and All nothing you out of your pocket. turn it on and listen. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's nothing out of your pocket and your, your resources. I know times are tight for many and so I thought – I'm going to do that, and I will let other people know about that as well, too. So mm-hmm. the life and times of Frederick the Great. Okay, so we've just stopped you at the door. That was our housekeeping. Now come on in. Let's get settled. Wipe your shoes, <laughs> you filthy animal. No, I'm just kidding. 
grab a drink, some tea, uh, some lavender oil if you need it. I don't know. Get get your dude. Bong in a blitz. Bong in a blitz. Smoking a pancake. Smoking a pancake. I've got <laughs> a, a taco and a vape. <laughs> yeah, actually she does. I vape have, and a taco. I have gin and whatever gin potion you made. I make gin potions, you guys. You do make gin potions. You're laughing, but it's true. You're just like, well, I don't know. I didn't measure anything. I just put it just in there. And I was there. like, oh, okay. gin and tonic with a probably half a shot of uh, creme de violet, which is basically purple liqueur, oh, liqueur okay. which like, is, just makes it taste kind of what? <laughs> florally. Oh, yeah. It yeah. does taste like flower petals. Mm-hmm. That's what it's supposed to taste. Yeah. Little fizzy flower petals. Indeed. Out of my green green dragon mug. Because I can't do anything like a normal human being. It always has to be Lord of the Rings related. I can't help myself. Katie, how are you doing? How am I doing? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Still a little sore. Okay. From well, what? From my ride the other day. Okay. Let's put it this way. He's more challenging than they normally was. Horses. Everybody's just talking no about No pony. Horses. He's pony. not a horse. <laughs> he is a fat pony. Oh, yeah. What's his name again? Yoshi. Yoshi. He's a little black and white paint pony. And he has, like, a lot of hair, so he looks like a little rock star. Aw. Oh, he's cute from afar. I just love that he's a little naughty pony named Yoshi. I don't know why that's just adorable to me, but. I said that, I said, I like that his name is Yoshi, because whenever he, because when, I mean, like, when he takes off, he, like, takes off, like, there's, like, something to come kill him behind him. He, like, runs. Huh? And I always yell, Yoshi, like Mm -hmm. it does in the game. Because it's just perfect, because he does, man. It's like, I just remember, because I was a Mario Kart player. Okay. It's like the only thing I played, and I actually had it on my Game Boy. Oh. And I just hear, I just remember the little dink, dink, dink. And then he yells Yoshi as you Yoshi. floor it. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So that's what I do when he takes off. I have the sound of Super Mario World when you would hop on Yoshi's back. That was when Yoshi was introduced. Oh, okay. Super Mario World on and then Super Nintendo. This is BK before Katie, not yes, Burger King. This is this is definitely BK. Um, <laughs> but when the Super Nintendo came out, Super Mario World is one of my all-time favorite video games. By the I'm way, I'm gonna have to try it. Has an it sometime. amazing soundtrack as well, too. If you ask me, I bet it does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> old soundtrack, but it's so fun. But Yoshi was the, one of, that was when he was introduced as like a character that you could interact with. Okay, and, you know. But he would have this little sound oh. when you jumped on his back. So I think like if you jumped on your little pony yoshi oh, yeah. i'm hearing that sound as i'm thinking of you riding like getting on top of him and riding him that was what was going Clinging on, on for dear just, life is he, yeah you know no, I'm just, just so you He's know what was bad. happening in this gray matter right here as yeah, i was absolutely. hearing you like hop on the horse and go choo-choo. And yoshi yoshi <laughs> yeah that so. or another one that i really thought would be a good name for him would be turbo do you remember and from wreck it ralph he goes turbotastic I'm saying that, too, a lot when he was taking off. And I was like, it fits, though. It fits. It really does. That being said, I'm good. A little sore. Are you drinking anything special? Well, I've got three drinks on the go, which is pretty (laughs) much my life. Always three. Almost three drinks. Um, The fact that you had to look around and circle at all the things you were consuming. I was like, what is going on over there? I have a taco. I have my little vape pen. I have a water, which is always important. I stay hydrated. I have a coffee. And then down by my feet, I have a vodka. That's and, where that went. I yeah. was like, where did her third drink go? I was like, I don't have space. And it's a vodka with strawberry guava uh, soda water, which is pretty good. It's very refreshing. Fancy. Yeah. All right. Well, with the pleasantries out of the way, y'all ready for some story time? Y'all, you're here for some story time, y'all. 
ready for some story time? Some bottle leaf grinder? I thought you were going to go into that sweet 90s thing. It's like, y'all ready for this? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. I like to do the- That was the first thing I thought of, but that might be my mm-hmm. generation showing. No, that, no, that's good. I also mm-hmm. like to do like the hairband arena rock star thing. Go, y'all ready to rock and roll? Oh, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, they that's do what I that on a, the radio station in the area. And it's called the one o'clock hairball. And it's like, what? It's like 80s yeah. hairband. I'm yeah. like, this is amazing. Speaking of 80s hairband, I'm wearing my Megadeth I, shirt. I keep looking at it. I keep like looking at the letters because they the letters for the most part blend in with the shirt except for like the shine on each the of them. The shine on them, yeah. And for whatever reason, like the M and the H keep like catching Jumping my Jumping out at you. Mm-hmm. Which I, is kind of weird because it's right over your tits. But it's I mean, exactly maybe I, I did that on purpose. <laughs> So if you see me like looking down at your chest, I understand that your eyes are up there, but I just keep looking at like the fake shine on the shirt for whatever reason. All right, bottle leaf grinder. Bottle leaf grinder. Shoot. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and a bottle that has just and I'm gonna hold it like Darth Vader does yes. too. When he chokes you out. Yeah. I appreciate your force choke. Thank but you. I will override your force choke with a bottle crush onto your grinder. I'm going to tell you a story that I didn't purposely do for for you, but... You sure about that? (laughs) Yeah, but it it very rapid. And once I thought about who I was doing, I was like, I'm like, oh, Katie's going to fucking love this story. This is is Katie. This is what Katie would do if... In ye olden days, it would definitely be Katie. In ye olden days, yes, absolutely. And so we are currently in March, uh, Women's History Month. So I'm like, you know, you know, I love the story about the ladies. Let's get those ladies out there. Laurel is the women's history part. I love women's of this history podcast. I love like, it anytime, which is great because you're like you're really good at finding. It. Anytime I look, I'm like, everyone's heard that before, mm. and then I'm like, ooh, Genghis Khan. <laughs> <laughs> so the story I have for you tonight, Katie and listeners, it plays out like a Quentin Tarantino film. Oh, sort of. I mean, if. Quentin Tarantino did history. It'd actually be probably pretty close to historically accurate because history is pretty violent from what I understand. Yeah, this is this is a pretty violent story. So it could work out well that way. <laughs> I'm just saying. Tarantino does a film on Boudicca. That's what I'm doing today. So Boudicca is what I'm going to call her. She's often called Boudicca, especially in England. I've heard like English historians call her Boudicca. Okay. Um. But as far as I understand it, a lot of people say you could call her either one and it's correct. There's not like one that people are like more for or against. Okay. It's my understanding at least. All right. What I saw in my research. Our story is about Boudicca, the Iceni woman who led a massive army of fellow Celts against the might of the Roman Empire. Ooh. Just as a reminder... Yes, the Roman Empire did go as far north as England. Oh, there yeah. Are, I've been to their ruins. Right. I was going to say there's plenty of influence and, uh, yeah, ruins and things left over from that period of time in England. So just in case you forgot or didn't know, yes, indeed, the Roman Empire was felt with its presence all the way up mm-hmm. into England. It was, in fact, an empire. That's for sure. Yes. It's a very good description of yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah. Far-reaching. Much of Boudicca's biography is wrapped in a lot of folklore and mythology. Which is how they usually told history back in the day. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, really, about every line of the story I'm about to tell you could always have 
allegedly interpretations. Yeah. yeah, it's believed that it's so like just, the whole shield maiden thing. They're like, yeah. well, like we're pretty sure, but like question mark, and you're like, sure. what does that mean? <laughs> there's some things that are very solid, and there's some things that are kind of like bigged up or you know mm-hmm. wrapped in that sort of mythology and of legend. That's okay. We all like a spicy story. Yeah, let's spice it up, right? But just so you can get the biggest picture that you can as a listener of Boudicca, I'm going to include the speculation and theories as we go, so that way you can kind of determine for yourself what you want to, what you want to see out of this. Right. So first, I'm going to set a scene, and I'm going to set that scene with my hands. Mm. <laughs> Apparently, as I always do, I'm like, let me create it with my fingertips. Are you ever going to give uh, listeners a, a visual? Of this, are we ever going to be we a visual? Do. You podcast? Know what? Maybe I could do that right now. I'll, I'll just put a video on, and so people can kind of see. But what's are you happening. ever actually going to make these a visual? I would like to. Yeah, let us know if that's something that you would like. Of course, okay. we love hearing from people. Because but... what I think they're missing out on is seeing you tell a story <laughs> versus just hearing it. There's a whole lot that goes on here that you guys don't. I'm boring. I think when I tell a story, I just no. lean in and give you like wide eyes, like I'm talking intensely. But you. Are very. I just don't know what to do with my hands. Ha- so let you me, like, like tell story. have big gestures and flourishes that the audience is missing out on. Well, let me. Uh, oh, uh, here knock, we go. Knock my vodka over. Carry on with your gesturing history. Okay, first century in the year forty-three. Holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> we're going oh, back. Sorry, you said that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, we're going. We're going back. First century CE. Which, tell everyone what that is, because I didn't know what it was. Common era. So there was um, BC, before Christ, and then AD, after death. Mm -hmm. The more commonly used now with a little bit more... The updated version. It's an updated version, yeah. So BCE is like the equivalent of BC. It's before common era. And then like what we would previously have known as AD, after death, is now... Common C-E. era CE. Got it. Okay. So if you see that now written as BCE, you could think BC mm-hmm. and CE, it would be. Okay, good. AD I actually did wanna... not know that. So I just learned something. This Thank is what you. we're here for. We're here to get high and learn stuff. And yeah. Chill with each other and just <laughs> hang out in our little, little smoke circle. So, first century, year 43, Roman Emperor Claudius was in some serious need of some positive PR. Okay. Really needing some positive PR. His people. Thought he was an idiot. So there's a good start there. And didn't really think that he was a very powerful emperor. So Claudius decided that he was going to prove himself by fully conquering Britain. All the way up north. He's like, we're going up there. You don't think it can be taken. I'm going to go do it. Up to that point, the Britons had successfully rebuffed Julius Caesar's attempts at conquering. And they were free people and they had a trade relationship with Rome. Okay. They're like, we're not we're not yours. We will do trade with you, but we you, you don't own us. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just realizing now as I'm talking, there's a lot of parallels to current events. That's history, baby. Okay. So the Romans saw Britain as an untamed, wild, barbaric land. It's like the barbaric peoples of Britain. Which is ironic because Britain later became that to other countries. (laughs) Right? These Um, barbarians. Like, oh, okay. mm -hmm. Anyway, carry on. It's just funny. (laughs) My, 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 how the tables have turned. (laughs) Some... Romans even thought Britons were inhuman. As in, like, we're talking fairy tale stuff. Sharp teeth, tails. They've got fangs. Inhuman. Oh. Like, they were, like, animal people. 
They thought they were cannibals. I know they thought mm-hmm. that. I just bet you they did. <laughs> oh, how the tables have turned, right? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Britain as we know it today, it's not yet an entity at this point. It is a bunch of tribal groups. This time, the island's made up of a bunch of large and small kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Rich, not unlike Viking times, right? You know, you had the different kingdoms. And oh, very tribes. much so, yeah. yeah. But they weren't so much kingdoms here, I think, in your day. They were just tribes with mm-hmm. separate territories. Yeah, I'm trying to think of when Viking stuff happened. Oh, so they were, I think, more like 1100 or so. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We are So you're actually before them. In small Mm -hmm. kingdoms now. Yeah, so when you said that, that's why I gave you that look like, wow, the Vikings are super ancient. You are going even further back. So I'm sure that basically what it is is they just hadn't built their boats and sailed over there yet. Sure. Kind of idea. But I'm sure they were there. We've got a thousand years, thousand Mm -hmm. plus years Mm -hmm. before this all happens with the Vikings. They're called kingdoms because they have their own kings. It's kind of like just like any other. Really? Yeah, any other tribes that we find, there's a, like a chieftain or a king, queen. Okay. You know, they they are considered kingdoms. Okay. Kingdoms, even if they're not like castles. Castle. Yes. Right. Exactly. Feudal systems. Sort I of follow thing. you. Okay. At the time, the people were also called a few different things. If their kingdom was known, they were called by the name of their kingdom. In this case, Iceni, the mm-hmm. Iceni kingdom, which is going to be the tribe that we focus on here. If not, they were just generalized as a Celt. Got it. Collectively called a Celt, or if you knew what kingdom that person was from, they were called... That. That, yes. The Romans actually created the name Britons for them as a collective name, an umbrella name. Interesting. So that was the name that we see when the historians refer to them. Roman historians, when they're writing about Britain, that's their term for them, the Britons. Speaking of their histories, the only two historical texts that we have about Boudicca come from Tacitus and Cassius Dio, who was a less reliable source. Both of these writers were Roman, though Cassius Dio wrote in Greek. Neither of them were there, and then they wrote their histories on Boudicca at least 50 years after the events that I'm going to tell you about took place. So we just have to really just take their word for it. Okay. That's what it comes down to. Unfortunately, that's a lot of early history. Like I said, like all those sagas and stuff you read about the Vikings, you're like, well, he fought a giant serpent, but we're pretty sure he was real. And you're like, right. Yeah. Okay, cool. When Claudius's legions of soldiers hit the British shores, the Celts quickly realized that they were no match for the Roman forces. Mm. Some Britons actually welcomed the Romans either because they didn't realize what long-term consequences would have been of their colonization or because Rome was this sort of luxurious, exotic center of power in the world. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we kind of like the way that looks. We Mm want to be a part of that. So there's either like appeasing or ignorance or, you know, whatever. Maybe they're like, want to be a part of these things. Anyway. King Louis, I want to be like you. Other Celts, however, felt like the path of least resistance and the way to keep their people alive was to align with Rome and then become a client kingdom. Yes. Okay. Does that make sense? That's kind of what I figured they Mm -hmm. were looking for. Most southern kingdoms became client states, which meant that Rome allowed the local king to maintain his position as long as there were annual tributes and a support of Roman rule and occupation. Mm -hmm. Essentially, they were just forced into becoming puppet kings and governing their kingdom in the name of Rome. Right. One of the larger kingdoms to become a client state belonged to the Iceni. Their land encompassed a portion of the southeastern coast in what is presently known as Norfolk, Cambridgeshire, and northern Suffolk. So when we think about England, right, London is in the south and more east 
right? We're looking from London along the coast. It would be like northeast of London along the coast. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. I know exactly where you are then. As the Romans settled in, they established the city of Camelodunum, now Colchester, as their capital and the main hub of Britain. Even Claudius came for a ceremonial tour, Emperor Claudius, and then he left after 18 days in the country is kind of going on tour. And then he left and he went back to Rome and he left his generals and governors to manage things for him. Hmm. Right? Because it's not like he's going to be hanging out in Britain when he's got Rome. Right. I mean, why would you, I guess? So you leave people in charge that you trust. And all of his, what do you call it? Um... Hmm. luxuries all of his oh, yeah, luxuries, his luxuries are, are in rome there. and he yeah. doesn't want to be without it and he's the emperor and he kind of want to be in the center of power it's not like we want our president just like hanging out in nebraska that would be odd yes yeah. very mm-hmm. good point <laughs> in nebraska sorry nebraska but that's okay i mean we've nothing against it but it would be an odd place it's for just the an, president yeah it's just a weird other and outside place to be it's what not are you doing built over up. there bud although i didn't see this information elsewhere i do want to say that the source biographics.com um, Biographics.org said something, I think, that was worth mentioning. And it made the following events make a lot more sense to me. So mention it to you. Since all the kingdoms had their own currency, Rome lent the Britons 40 million sesterces. 40 million sesterces, which was expected to be paid back with interest. Oh, nice. of course it was. Nice. So were they the ones who started interest? Those <laughs> bastards. Damn it, Romans. The loan is estimated to be roughly $60 million in today's money. Wow. It was a loan the Britons never asked for either. Mm. They weren't so like, hey, Roman, Romans, hey, it. Rome, no. hey, all of you over there in the, in the Roman Empire. We, we would like this money. Please give it to us. That wasn't asked for. It was just given to them. And the kingdoms, again, all had their own currency and their own wealth to some degree. The Iceni in particular were known for the wealth and large amounts of gold and salt. Mm-hmm. But the Celtic kingdoms accepted the loan because it just made trading with Rome easier. Because they're like, okay, we can use the same currency then. All right, whatever. Oh, okay. We've got our own currency for our own shit. But when we're trading with you, Rome, we'll use... We'll use yours. Yes. For ease. For ease. Eleven years after the invasion of Britain, Nero takes the throne as emperor at the tender age of 16 years old. Little baby emperor. Wasn't Nero the one that was like fiddling while Rome was burning? That's what they say, yeah. He was far more concerned with playing the liar and spending large amounts of money on his extravagances and fanciful things. Oh, Nero. Nero was. Interesting. And he left the rule of Britain and the outer lands from Rome in the hands of his governor generals. So he really concentrated and focused more on Rome as his center of power and just the surrounding lands. Everything else was kind of just out of sight, out of mind. That's your problem. That's your problem, yeah. Something's an issue, you can come to me and talk to me about it, but let me just buy the nice things and eat food, drink wine. Drink olive oil, extra virgin my, olive oil. No, I'm just kidding. Liar. Oh, is that what that was called? Little heart. Yeah, he didn't have like an actual like fiddle. He was no, like, there's no it wasn't way. like they Charlie Daniels. Not sitting there having like a <laughs> nanny <laughs> on, the, on a roof of a thing. Anyway. Nero's spending habit was draining the empire's coffers and he sought to recover funds through regaining that interest on the loans from these other lands mm-hmm. as well as raising taxes. Doesn't make you very popular because it's your fault that there's no money. That's side note. <laughs> Nero appointed a new governor of Britain named Suetonius Paulinus, who was also the general of the Roman army, who started raising taxes, trying to reclaim some of that $40 million or 40, oh, 40 million sesterces loan. Much to the outcry and displeasure of the Celts, who were like, we didn't want this in the first place, but And now thanks. you're using and abusing us. Mm-hmm. 
In addition to that, any grants that Rome had given the Britons were renamed as loans. So money that they were given, grants, Mm -hmm. were then like, actually, just kidding, that's going to be a loan now, and we want that back as well as interest on it. So thanks. Cool. Hurry up on that. This is not great. The Iceni king who had been ruling through all of this was named Presitargus. He managed his client kingdom with his wife, Boudicca, and their two daughters, who were approximately 11 to 13 years old. Okay. When Presitargus died in 60 AD, he left half of his estate to his daughters and half to the new Roman emperor, Nero. Presitargus's treaty with Rome should have protected his family and kingdom, but he bequeathed half of his wealth to the Roman emperor as, like, further assurances for protection. Right, take care of my family right. for me. Um, it was just a, a show of good faith to be like, we're still under your rule, please don't be an asshole. Right. However, because he didn't have a male heir, the Romans considered the treaty null and void, and they did not recognize Boudicca as the Iceni queen. The people did. Mm-hmm. She's their queen. But the Romans were like, uh, you're not a guy, so... Uh, I was going to no. ask where the Romans only male-dominated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very much patriarchy, yeah. I couldn't remember. That's yeah. why I was like, I kind of need to, like, check back in with you on that. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, so, like, I've women... I've been to were... Rome in a while, historically or otherwise. Physically, ever. Women in Celtic Britain were able to own land, marry who they pleased, rule kingdoms, and even sometimes fight in battle. Oh, you mean, like, the Viking women? Yeah. Oh, that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the complete opposite of what Roman women were allowed to do. Mm-hmm. A woman with the public voice and position of power was considered unnatural. And frankly, it was like, it was actually disgusting and horrifying yeah, to Yeah, barbaric Romans. is yeah. what they would tell you. It's barbaric. These historians that were getting these accounts from were actually like puke in my mouth, disgusted by Boudicca as mm-hmm. a queen. They think, like I said, they yeah. think it's completely barbaric and they can't believe it. They're like, this is disgusting. Oh my God. Suetonius Paulinus's troops swooped into Iceni land to collect half of their estate, which was promised to Rome. But instead of settling for half which was bequeathed to them, Mm -hmm. they decided to just go on ahead and take all of it. Okay, I figured that's where this was going. Some sources say that Suetonius Paulinus used the loan as an excuse to take more than the agreed amount. He's like, well, we're also making good on this loan. So Hmm. we're going to take the half that you gave to us. We're also going to take the other half because you also have a loan to repay, was what his excuse was. But it seems the raid was about more than that. The Iceni had a lot of access to gold and salts, and their kingdom was ruled by a woman, which, again, grossed them out. So as the Romans tore through the kingdom, busting through homes and stealing anything of value, they're just looting. Ransacking. And ransacking, yes. Boudicca resisted and protested their actions as their queen, as the Iceni queen. Duh. Well, the Romans decided, and just a little heads up, it's going to get a little little violent, a little jarring maybe. So if, if you don't want to hear it, maybe hit it one time. I'm going to just hit it and then get out of there and we won't talk about it much more. But the Romans decided to make an example of the queen and then publicly stripped her, flogged her, and then raped her two daughters. Who are children. Who are children, yeah. Again, we're talking like 11 to 13 years old. Not only is this absolutely horrifying and traumatic in and of itself, but there are even deeper connotations to this assault. The Roman Empire would never ever have flogged one of their own citizens. Mm. This was used on slaves and like what they who they viewed as like the low of the low. If you were a Roman citizen, you wouldn't have, wouldn't have been flogged as a form of punishment. Okay. I'm getting this from the historian that was that I got some of the source material from. There's a historian that was talking about 
the Romans wouldn't have ever plug, publicly flogged a Roman citizen. That was something that was like, reserved for even lower citizens. Both Britons and Roman citizens alike were horrified that orders were given to do such atrocities, not only to a queen, but to a Roman. You know, so depending on which way you're looking at it, she's our queen, she's a Roman, you know, which side of her side. And then on top of that, to assault the princesses was just an extra insulting. It's just, it's just layering on insults for the sake of humiliation. And as it is too, and this is not only just in this culture and in this time period, but we see this kind of happening throughout, but that to take a woman's virginity is like then making her seem not desirable, not marriage material. So now you've done that to princesses. Nobody's going to want to marry them now because they are no longer virgins, which how is that even in their control? And in, in their, you know, anyway, sorry, you can go down a whole rabbit hole with that. It's pretty important. It is it's disgusting in its act to do it, but then also the long-term implications of like, now we are trying to effectively end the line of your kingdom mm-hmm. and end That's your exactly rule. That's exactly what they mm-hmm. did, which yeah. is barbaric. Yeah, and we see this happening elsewhere too. So anyway, that's all the talk on that. Moving on, we have a wife who's recently lost her husband, a mother whose daughters have been savagely attacked, and then a woman, a queen, who had been publicly whipped and humiliated herself. And now we get the Quentin Tarantino movie moment where she's going to like look at the camera and she's going to vow vengeance. She's like, I'm going to kill Bill. I'm going to kill all of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And you Good know that her. she means it. Boudicca appealed to the leaders of neighboring kingdoms, the Trinovanti, the Camovi, and the Duratigis. She's using her daughters while she appealed to them to say, like, look what they've done. Look what they've done to my daughters. Look what they've done to royalty. Look what they've done to us. Rally. Though normally these kingdoms generally disliked one another, and they would just war amongst themselves. They were all outraged at what happened to Boudicca and her daughters, and they had a long list of their own grievances against the Roman Empire anyway. So they're like, yeah, this is all the fuel that we need to go after the Roman Empire. Or as you usually say, this is some shit. This is some shit. So what was going on was under the procreator, Cadus Decianus, who was the treasury officer and agent representing Roman law in Britain, the Celts had begun to be treated like slave labor. They were also subjected to casual mistreatment and driven from their land by Roman army veterans who held themselves to any property they wanted. By chance, what the hell does casual mistreatment mean? I don't know. Like, how is it casual? Like, Oh, they would just do it all the time and without any sort of, like, any real quote-unquote provocation. Just as easy as it is to just... Casual. Open the door and say, oh, look, what a sunny day. It was just, it just as casual for them to mistreat. I see. In cruel ways. Adding insult to injury, a huge temple was was built to a deified emperor, Claudius, in Collodinum. Using the Trinovantes as unpaid labor, who were then taxed to pay for a temple that they had to build. Wait, what? <laughs> exactly. So the Trinovantes people, this is a neighboring kingdom to the Iceni. <laughs> a deified emperor, Claudius, is like, I'm going to have... A massive temple right. built because I'm everything here, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. in Camelodunum. And the Trinovantes were slave labor; they were unpaid labor, and then they were taxed to pay for the temple that they had to build that they didn't ask for in the first place. Yep. Right. No, I understood you, but like I don't. <laughs> like I'm sitting there and I'm like, the Romans really. I I logically understood you, but didn't at the yes, same time. I know. It's 
and I, I was sitting there and I was be. like, these fuckers think they can get away with whatever they want. That's who the Ropins were. There it is, all out on the table. Just after the attack on the Iceni, Suetonius Paulinus had just left with two-thirds of the Roman army in Britain. So he took most of the army and went off with it after he attacked the Iceni. Bye-bye now. Something the Romans dislike as much of a, as a woman in power is a druid. <laughs> and, oh. And so Suetonius Paulinus took his rampage to Anglesey, where the druids' main headquarters and the sacred groves were. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So most people don't have a map of England in front of you, but you can either picture it or if you live there, you can really picture it. Right. Anglesey <laughs> is on the northwest shore of Wales. So oh. the Iceni kingdom is southeast on the coast. You know how like when you're looking down the eastern coast of England, it kind of bumps out a little bit. Yeah. So it kind of goes around that southeast edge. Yeah. So the Iceni kingdom is where the top of that like bump out is. Right. So there to the northwest corner of Wales. It's basically as far across width-wise. Isn't that like that right on the Atlantic Ocean or am I on the wrong side? Uh, Irish Sea. Okay, yep, I know where you're at. You're yep. at yep. the yep. right yep. spot, yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just about as far as you can get west from where Boudicca was with her amassing army. With most of the Roman troops gone, the salts banded together and rose up. Although they were not the super disciplined and organized military that the Romans were, the Celts had still spent their lives training for war, and whenever the call came, they were always ready to go. They were prepared. They were prepared. They marched towards Camelodunum, the center of Roman power in Britain. Hearing rumblings of a rebellion marching into the city, the Romans sent 200 unarmed slaves and retired soldiers to take care of things. Yeah, your raised eyebrows say everything. The Celts were seen by the Romans as barbarians, uncivilized, unorganized, completely inept at battle. They don't know what they're doing. Barbarians, yes. And they couldn't be more wrong. Outside the city walls, historian Tacitus gives Boudicca this great big speech to rally her troops and her wild flaming red hair is glimmering in the sun or something like that. But oh, she did have red hair. According to these historians. She talks about how overtaxations and other form of servitude and serving the Romans for the sake of only their profit. And she talks about how they have fought the Romans before and they won against Julius Caesar and Augustus. And she also emphasizes the idea of unity amongst their people and to stand against an outside force. Because remember, they're all individual kingdoms mm-hmm. who have come together. So she's like, we can like unite and do great things. She calls the Romans weak and unable to stand the cold and the weather and how much they'd rather be taking luxurious baths and playing musical instruments. She's not wrong. And eating. Yeah. <laughs> she well, pretty much hit the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> and she says, we, the Celts, are enduring and strong against the elements because of these clear differences. Boudicca's speech concludes with, let us show them that they are hares and foxes trying to rule over dogs and wolves. Whoa. Badass. Okay, after that, she prays to the goddess Andraste for victory, and they released a hare. And then she reads the path of the hare as a sign of victory. And upon this good omen, the Celts went forth, and they sacked Camelodunum. It was in this city that the infamous temple to Claudius stood. Remember that, that temple mm-hmm. that they had to build? Yes. Yeah, fuck that temple. With people still inside, the Celts burned the temple and the surrounding city to the ground. Boudicca's movement gathered more esteem with troops who joined her cause against the Roman Empire. 
Meanwhile, the 9th Legion was stationed northeast in Leicester, and this was an elite unit made up of approximately 4,000 infantry and 1,000 cavalry. It's a lot of very highly trained Roman soldiers. Right. The 9th Legion made their way from south to intercept the Celtic army. Once again, they underestimated the locals and the 5,000 men were met with an army of nearly 120,000 strong. Wow. Though some escaped and lived to fight another day, Boudicca's army completely wiped out the legion, which was absolutely unheard of in Roman history up to that point. Never had a legion been completely destroyed, especially by barbarians. Right. Yeah. It's just so real. Like, she is decimating, decimating these guys. She's encouraged. And Boudicca moves her ever-growing forest to Londinium, which is present-day. London, London. Yep. indeed. Which was then, as it is today, a commercial hub of Britain. By this point, people were taking notice of this warrior queen whose ferocity had leveled Camelodunum and an entire legion. Putting it frankly, the historians say Boudicca loved killing Romans and those who supported Rome. I feel that. Sounds about right, really. And she was indiscriminate in her destruction. She was angry. She was seeking revenge. She's not trying to disrupt Roman rule to put in place like a better, more fair system. No, she wants him dead. This is old-fashioned, brutal revenge. It's like, what is that in um, The Untouchables? I've never and, seen it. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's a classic. Everyone should see The Untouchables. But Robert De Niro plays Al Capone. And he's like, I want him dead. I want his family dead. Oh, I've heard this. Dead. And it, eh, dead. Anyway, I don't know what the lines are. It just are. goes just, on a whole rampage. Yeah, he wants them all dead. He's pissed. So that's exactly yeah. what's happening here. Yep. The stories of the horror she created had preceded her. Oh. Striking fear into the Romans in her warpath. So everyone's just getting like a dodge. Like worse than they were to her? I'm assuming. Yeah. Or oh. at least exacting the same sorts of revenge. Oh, okay. Yeah. The thing is, whether they are fully true or they're exaggerated to make her seem more fearsome and mythological is unknown. You know, propaganda works across history. But on top of that, the Romans were horrified to see that Celts had brought their wives and children on wagons who just sat watching the battles and destruction. Raising the next generation. (laughs) They're like, oh my gosh, this is insane. With one city raised and a legion defeated, Suetonius Paulinus had taken notice as well, and dispatched his army to the southeast of Britain. He rode ahead with his cavalry unit to see the destruction for himself that Boudicca was causing. This was the emperor at the time? Uh, Suetonius Paulinus is like the governor, the the manager of Britain. Ah, right, got it, Mm -hmm. okay. So his crew came to town and originally wreaked havoc on the Iceni with Boudicca, Mm -hmm. and then he took all of his troops and they went up to kill all the Druids up in Anglesey, which is like north... So this is our big baddie. This is our big this baddie, This is our yes. guy that we really want fucking dead horribly. Yeah. Yes, Suetonius Paulinus is a real piece. So then he's bringing him back to where she's sacking all these right. cities and mm-hmm. killing everybody. Yeah, he's coming to see for himself. And then, yes, he rode ahead with his cavalry unit. I really want something bad to happen to him. <laughs> yes, and the situation was looking more serious for the Romans than they initially thought. They completely underestimated the Celts. Suetonius Paulinus came upon Londinium already on fire, completely ablaze. Realizing his cavalry was nothing compared to the mass of Boudicca's warriors, which numbered probably close to 150,000 by that point. Sweet. (laughs) So many people. Suetonius evacuated any citizens that he could from Londinium and fled with his cavalry. 
He gathered whoever was left of the 9th Legion as well as retired soldiers and then just waited for his infantry to arrive. With Londinium sacked and burned to the ground, Boudicca and her warriors were a force to be reckoned with. Hell hath no fury. Sort of That's kind of how I was feeling. I was really yeah. into it, though. Like, I'm really behind her, to be honest with you. <laughs> she then turned her sights north to Verulanium, which is present-day St. Albans. Mercifully, the city was evacuated by then, so it was mostly empty of inhabitants, although anyone who decided to stay were most likely killed or couldn't leave. Verulanium was burned, but Boudicca, she's still not done, you guys. Mm-hmm. Knowing that the Roman army was nearby and vastly outnumbered by her forces, she began to follow them north. Suetonius Paulinus drew Boudicca into a battle that no one seems to know the exact location of, although history refers to it as the Battle of Watling Street. Suetonius picked a defensive spot where forests shielded their backs and a valley sat in front of them. Boudicca's army would not only have to fight uphill, but would not be able to flank the Romans from the sides or come up behind them. Interesting. It's a very good spot. Yeah. There, Suetonius waited with his 10,000 men, outnumbered 23 to 1. Now, at this point, the army's grown even more, beyond its estimated 150,000. And I can only imagine what the deafening roar of 230,000 Celts would be like. Screaming Screaming, Celts. yes. Throwing insults. Boudicca's riding her chariot up and down the line. She's got a chariot? She's got a chariot. And pep talking and just getting everybody riled up, hair behind her, all that. Okay, mm. and then the 10,000 Romans on the other side, though, credit to them, outnumbered 23 to 1, they held their ground. Wow. They were wildly outnumbered, but again, they're the Roman army, so they're incredibly well-trained, right. organized, armored, and they have that great defensive spot, too. Right. So with such odds in their favor, despite the Romans' tough defensive position, the wagons of women and children pulled in behind the Celtic army which made a semicircle around the back. Okay. So you're thinking of a valley. you got the Romans on one side at the top of the hill. Yeah. The bottom of the valley, you've got all the Celts army. But then you know how they've been taking like their families around with them on these carts? Right. The carts all kind of pulled around the back to like watch. Mm-hmm. But now the Celtic army is trapped down this in. valley. Yes. When the battle started, the Romans initiated their strategy of throwing spears for long-range attack and then thrusting the swords through their wall of shields for close contact fighting. And this would happen wave after wave as each line of assaults fell. With the wagons in behind them, they were effectively trapped in this valley. Although some did manage to escape, Boudicca included, the death toll at the end of the day was estimated to be between 70,000 and 80,000 Celtic men, women, and children while the Romans lost only 400 of their 10,000. Oh, 10, my God. Yeah. Bummer. I'm yeah. actually surprised that they lost. Mm-hmm. I thought with sheer numbers, they would at least crush them. Yeah, you'd think. I mean, quite a few of them got away, but yeah, it not without a huge loss like that of not just soldiers, but families, too. Mm-hmm. As far as we have with records, though, Boudicca's life ends shortly after this. There's not oh. really too much to be said. Tacitus says that she poisoned herself rather than be captured while Cassius Dio says she died of an unknown illness. Probably an injury would be right? my guess. You know, an infection. like infection, yeah. yeah. No one knows where she is buried, although in 2001, the wetwing graves that were discovered, which I didn't realize what they were. You're, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I was going to say you're I nodding mean, like, I was like, oh, yeah. No, 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 sorry. They discovered like apparently this really fabulous, gorgeous chariot, and there's a, a grave inside this chariot, and it was somebody important 
but was a local important person. So some people are like, well, is it maybe Boudicca? Mm. So anyway, that's all there is to say about that right now. Dig but, up all of England, we'll find her. Yeah. <laughs> but it did, sh- or at least shows that Celtic women were indeed included in battle and considered respective and fearsome fighters because it's a, a woman, it's a female body. So they're like, yeah, so they did the, the DNA on her and all that. Yeah, so they just at least know it's a a woman. It could be, right? So, yeah. Or do you think it's not likely? I don't know. I don't know, actually. I think it's likely. Boudicca's revolt against the Roman Empire did actually have Nero shaking in his little Roman sandals for a while because... His little toga. His little toga. (laughs) Because he considered withdrawing all Roman forces from Britain. After their victory, Rome increased their military presence on the island, but they did, thankfully, loosen up their really oppressive rule, and they remained in Britain until their withdrawal in 410 AD. So hundreds of years later, they Jesus. finally left. Boudicca's memory faded for many, many centuries until Tacitus's Annals of Rome resurfaced in the Renaissance in the year 1380 and sparked a new interest in her story. By the Victorian era, she was considered a national hero and a symbol of fierce female leadership, because at that time... Queen Victoria was on the throne, right? So they're like, oh, right. girl power. Makes, Makes sense. sense. <laughs> Her story and myth Not related was, at all. Yeah. <laughs> Her story and myth was romanticized by the Victorians, and Queen Victoria came to be seen as her namesake, as both Victoria and Boudicca mean victory. Uh-huh. Yeah. Prince Albert commissioned a statue of Boudicca and her daughters riding in her war chariot to be erected on the River Thames by the Houses of Parliament, where it stands this very day as a memorial to a national hero and symbol for independence and the struggle for justice. And that's the story of Boudicca, or Boudicca, as she's sometimes called. Wow. I see any queen. Fierce warrior, babe. I'll say, that's wild. It's one of those things, it's like, you have all this buildup, and then it just peters off, and you're like, oh, damn. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's that whole, oh, so there's like and they were never heard from again, and... and you're like, what? That's it? Like, What? I wasn't expecting yours to go that way, though. Can I tell you a secret? Yeah. Since I wrote that story so long ago, and I didn't read it through fully before doing it tonight, I didn't either. <laughs> it was a surprise for it me as well. It was a surprise for me as well. I was like, oh, shit, that's right. That's how this ends. Uh, so, oh, well. Actually, we both have warrior women today. All right. So I'm I very am so here for this. Take oh, me yeah. on a journey, Katie. I think you kind of like contact hide me because I'm sitting here and I'm like kind of <sighs> there. But then I'm doing the thing that I do where I just kind of want to sit and not say anything. <laughs> where are we, Katie? We're in Japan. 16th century. Okay. Six- 16th century Japan. Yes. Nice. When was, what century was the time when you did like the Roroni Kenshin? Rurouni? Oh, Gensai? Yes. So he was actually, he's part of the same era, the Edo era. Okay. Um, However, he was closer to the, like, revolution. You're right. It's the Rurouni Kenshin is the series that Gensai, that it was based off of yeah, Gensai. I was thinking of the, the cartoon character, but I knew it was a real person. Right. Yeah. No, you were there. Uh, Gensai is his name. Um, but, yeah, so he was closer to 1800s going into the 1900s. Okay. This is a little, but it's considered part of the same era. Right. So the whole, like, where they had the shogunate in charge and, like, the warring clans and stuff like that, that's all happening right now. And we're going to have an overlap with another extremely important character who I may have talked about before. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Very exciting. Or at least that character's clan. And he lived at this time. So, anyway, today 
we are talking about Machizuki Chiyome. And I heard it said a lot of freaking ways, and that <sighs> seemed right. Okay. Chiyome was thought to be a descendant of the 15th century ninja. We're going to get into this, so just kind of hang with me, and then I'll break it down a little bit. Uh, this ninja was by the name of Machizuki Izomi no Kami of the Koga Ryu. I believe those were all right. I tried my bestest. She was the wife, Machizuki Moritoki, a samurai, lord of Shinano's Saku district. He himself, apparently, was also a relative of that same ninja, Izumo no kan- Kanami. Kami. Kami, not Kanami. I apologize. Izumo no Kami. I'm adding shit that's not there. Okay. No, I got sorry. excited. Okay. It happens. The Kanami code. Up, down, down, left, right. What is that? AB, AB, select start. How's that go? <laughs> Downtown, up, up, AB. Downtown, up, up, AB, AB. Oh, I don't actually remember the select code. Start. Do you remember the code? Was it from Mortal Kombat? No, it was oh. the Konami code. Was, uh... Oh, the Konami code. Okay. I'm sorry. I went, I went on. No, it's okay. I went on a little side quest. I'm sorry. That's Where okay. Where are we at? We're I, in Japan. I side Let's go. quest as well. So she was the wife of this samurai lord because mm-hmm. the samurai were the noblemen back in the day so like feudal age so the whole almost fiefdom but not quite a little different and he himself was also a distant relative of that same ninja now i'm just going to point out that like for a ninja to be known they were probably that's usually unheard of so it's kind of a big deal kind of defeats the purpose being secretive if people <laughs> know who you are yeah, hang with me. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. It is. You're very right. It is. So, but we're going to dig into that a little bit. So, Shiomi's husband was killed in the fourth battle of the Kawanakajima, leaving her to care for her husband's uncle. Incidentally, the leader of the Takeda clan. I believe it's Takeda. It's T-A-K-E-D-A. It could be Takeda, I suppose. Takeda clan was active in the late 16th century in the Kai province reached its greatest influence under the Takeda Shingen, which was the Tiger of Kai. Big warrior, obviously. Yeah, you can tell, obviously. He earned a um, a title. A title, yes. Uh, Takeda Shingen was the uncle of Shiomi's late husband. He tasked her, approaches her, right, after her husband died, he tasked her with creating a network of spies and informants. Takeda's plan was to have fully trained female operatives to act as spies and agents and gather information and deliver messages, you know, whatever needed to be done in secret on the DL. Like a secret elite group that nobody would suspect. It's kind of his idea behind that. Is he capitalizing on her grief of her loss of her husband? (laughs) Yes, yes, he is. (laughs) It mentioned that in a couple of my sources. I was like, oh, "Oh." and I was like, I mean, you know, whatever gets the job done, if she's living out her... I mean, if it makes her feel better, you know what I mean? Machizuki Chiomi was considered the best candidate for this as she was descended from a long line of Koga Ninja. Pop quiz, just for you and me, and any listeners involved. <laughs> Do you remember the name of the poison bug-type Pokemon leader, who was also a ninja? <laughs> what? Oh, you don't? His name was Koga. I, was got... I had no idea. Oh, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Why would you know I that? I just know Team Rocket. Right? Jesse and James. Oh, yeah. Jesse and James. See, and I did, actually, I, I didn't mean, know their names. That's shameful. <laughs> Good times. Anyway, back to this. I just thought that was cool. So, like, Koga is the, he's put, like, he has the shuriken. Uh-huh. Or shuriken? Shuriken? Those little stars. He's yep. holding those in the game when you fight him. 
he's a bitch too because he poisons you the whole time, which makes sense, Ninja, right? Okay. Because they knew how to yeah. mix poisons and all that. He freaking poisons your Pokemon the whole time. If you don't have antidotes, you're like, fuck, because when your, po- your Pokemon gets poisoned, it slowly loses health the whole time, even when it's not hit. You're like, son of a bitch. God damn you, Koga. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Just in case you guys needed to know some cool, sweet Pokemon tips. They know. Oh, okay. I mean, That's maybe. Pokemon corner. Of the maybe show. they don't. I don't know. I, was, <laughs> I grew up with it, so there's no escaping it in the 90s. As mentioned by my source, the Swords of Northshire, it's a little ironic to talk about a ninja as well known since they always acted with the utmost secrecy to protect them clan and themselves. Sure. This makes perfect sense. Right. You shouldn't know these ninjas. You shouldn't know that they exist. So why do we know their names? Partly why there's so few ninjas actually known about in history. Most of, I mean, there's like a lot that we don't know. It's basically what I found out here is like, so here's what we know. Not a lot. And I was like, oh, that's insanely (laughs) unhelpful. (laughs) I was like, well, this is going to be a short-lived story if that's how we're starting out. Um exceptions i'll give you this one at the end oh okay because i don't want to give it to you away but there is a well-known ninja who we have talked about on this this podcast okay considering how hard it is to find history on ninjas in general finding history on female ninjas is even harder to this day chiomi is the only one aside from her own disciples that is even recorded in history oh wow that's it just her Wow, that's amazing. Keep in mind the kind of state Japan, li- um, the like hierarchy that Japan lives with as well. Sure. Um, now, ninjas, let's get into that because I think a lot of people don't understand what they really are. We as Americans think of little guys that run around in like black pajamas and do sweet shit. Mm-hmm. Like, which is not entirely false. However, <laughs> <laughs> they actually did have the whole like suit where only their eyes were visible. But it's not like they wore that all the time. Most of the time, you would not even know that's who they were because they were hiding in plain sight. So mostly they were hired by noblemen, samurai, or the noblemen of the day, to spy, sabotage, assassinate, all that. Extremely skilled with swords and other weaponry. They were like, maybe elite warriors is a little much. The samurai were the elite warriors, but the ninja, there were ninja who became samurai. Okay. So they were no, they weren't scrubs. Yeah. They were really, really freaking good. But again, you weren't supposed to talk about it. I've never seen the movie, but I'm told that's how Fight Club is. Yeah, it's like you don't say. talk about it. Apparently, that literally Ninja Club. That's ninjas. Yeah. Like that's all. Like you, you don't talk about it. Nobody knows about it. Was it a thing? Oh, it was a thing. Well, what about it? Well, we don't talk about it. Like that's all you need to know. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. This is clandestine. Uh, yeah. Group. Group of people. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Extreme skills. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you don't need, yeah. don't need to mind, mind your P's and Q's. They used some of that weaponry to climb walls or sneak into castles or sneak through defenses and anything. Like that's, they actually did that shit. That's rad. It okay. is really cool. Honestly, the more I found out about them, the cooler it was uh, because it, as you pull away the veil of mystique around them, like they're these mysterious almost sorcerers, when you realize that they're just people, it's even cooler because they could do all these things and they were just normal people. Skilled normal people, but still normal people. You're like, it's just cooler than just magic. You right, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it wasn't until the Tokugawa era, 
also known as the Edo era, which we're kind of in right now, in this story, uh, that there were even mentions of ninjas in official documents. So think like about Gensai's time. That's when they were finally being talked about. They Hundreds of years before oh, this, wow. they existed. Because we're in the 1500s mm-hmm. right now. I mean, they were Secret not. for a long time. Yes. They still are. How little we know is like, well, we don't know. Nobody wrote it down. For, I mean, on purpose, nobody wrote it down. Mm-hmm. They always had day jobs, like peddlers or farmers, stuff like that. Things where they could get close to where they needed to be, hear what they needed to hear. But you wouldn't notice that they were there. Mm-hmm. Just normal people. Very low-key so as not to attract attention. The ninja techniques varied slightly between clans. Uh, did I mention to you before how they there were clans? Yes. Uh-huh. So, like, yeah, so each... A lot of them, too. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot, but, like, there's very uh, certain, like, famous ones that, like, if I... Like, Tokugawa was a big one. But, I mean, you had to be... Again, that whole thing that goes back where they don't talk about fight. Like, it's, you have to be welcomed into the fold. Right. You can't just show up. That's not how it happened. You were welcomed in, and then you didn't leave unless you died or you were killed. All right. I mean, it's just that level of secrecy. And now you could be adopted in. They did mention, like, oh, no, I mean, you could. That's how it was passed on was from, like, father to son. But it didn't necessarily have to be, like, oh, my birth son. Like, if... A ninja was out on assignment, especially a grandmaster. So there are ninja grandmasters, by the way. You know how Sub-Zero is like a grandmaster in the game? Have you ever heard them talk about him as grandmaster, whatever his real name is, which escapes me right now? Don't hate me. (laughs) Yeah, vaguely, I remember Well, he's called... The the grandmaster was the leader. Mm -hmm. So he would, you know, if he found a protege and like a child in the neighboring village, he could bring him in and that's it. That's his protege. Then it gets passed on to that person. It mm-hmm. wasn't like bloodline. It right. was like... Who you chose. Yeah. And who proved themselves. <laughs> it says, was passed to the chosen protege within the clan, uh, and their secrets stayed hidden within. Ooh. <laughs> I was very secretive about how I wrote it all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is said that Takeda offered Chiome revenge for her husband's loss. It didn't go in too far to who the battle was against, but he died in this battle, the fourth battle. Um, so there were probably three more before it, <laughs> I could guess, and possibly more after. <laughs> so but, like I said, he kind of like played on like the loss and was like, hey. Yeah, you want to get this revenge? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, and revenge stories times two. Actually, oh, overlap. Mm-hmm. A fresh loss of her husband, it speculated that granting her the role of seeking out information is what led her to establish that network that Takeda always wanted. Again, like I said, if she's getting her revenge and she's fulfilling, like, something that makes her feel better, is he really that bad a guy? Mm, no. It's fine. Laurel's <laughs> like, okay, if you right, feel that way about it. Uh, most likely, it was led mainly by her, so she most likely founded all of this and decided, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. And it's more likely that he gave her the okay instead of being like, okay, here's what you're going to do. Because he didn't have that much time to invest in helping her. Because, again, he was the leader of the clan. There was a lot going on. Okay. He was busy. Chiomi would disguise herself as a charitable noblewoman and seek out those who were lost that she thought she could mold to her new ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, She set out about setting up her own ninja academy that was disguised as a religious school for underprivileged girls. 
she sought out potential candidates all over. Thought it said it was the Koga region again. So wherever that was in Japan, we should put a in the show notes. Put a thing up about it. So the potential candidates she sought out included sex workers, were a big one, uh, victims of the Sengoku civil wars, and a lot of orphaned young girls. Bring them in. And not only were they given a formal education at this academy that she founded, they were also taught spying and sabotage. It's <laughs> one of the things it said was how to kill a man in the fastest way possible. I was like, I mean, or kill anyone. Yeah, or like, anyone. I, right. I was like, it's not just like what kills a man isn't like, oh, but women are different. It's like, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I thought that I thought it was just they're kind of playing on the whole women I, thing. But yeah, maybe I love what's happening here oh yeah they were set uh onto the streets of neighboring clans towns all that to infiltrate takeda's enemies they were taught how to hide in plain sight like a ninja role play when they needed to uh art of seduction obviously important one as well as how to record and smuggle information and even how to withstand torture i was like oh my the their disguises that they wore included servants, barmaids, some even married samurai after disguising themselves as a noble woman. How fucking deep Whoa. cover do you have to be? Holy shit. Yeah. Like, I was so this there, was, I was something... Like, wow. So the the women of this group, this was something that went on for a long period of time because... A good amount of time. Okay. Wow. Here's the problem uh, that I found with this is when I brought it up to look at a couple things, they didn't really give me a whole lot, which was kind of frustrating. To give you a frame of reference, it says that she was born in around approximately 1540. This is the approximately Mm -hmm. because there was so little that they gave me on this. I think, once again, the secret of nature that she lived, and then two, it was a long fucking time ago. Sure. (laughs) So I don't think that helped either. All fair. Um, Yours was even fucking longer ago, but you know... (laughs) But about 1540-ish. Okay. So coming up here, you'll see about how long it went on. At least a good while, let's say. Because of the patriarchal society of feudal Japan, women were not viewed as a threat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, lending them extraordinary advantage is what I wrote <laughs> next. Because it's true. I yeah. mean, everything that they did... And it made mention that in some spots they talked about these demon women that were coming out and, like, something about against neighboring clans. I'm like, I mean, no, you're just dumb enough to be easily seduced. So, like, who's the idiot here? But whatever. <laughs> Did they turn into demons or they turned them into demons or something like that? That they were, they were they demons themselves. themselves. Okay. Because Takeda got so much information from that. You know, I was yeah. like, well, of course he did because he was smart enough to utilize it. He was yeah. like, hey, I've got a great idea. Sadly, the women in there getting shit done. Amen. So true. Sadly, by 1573, Takeda Shingen passed either by cancer or disease. So that's why I looked that up. So it was about about that long that this would have gone on. And again, everything I found was real, like, unspecific. One said 1540 to 1582. Okay. Okay, sure, maybe. Machizuki Chiomi had around 300 women working for under her at the time. Wow. Oh, she had a legion. I mean, not quite a legion, but like her own yeah, tiny legion. Yes. It's a lot. It's a lot of women. 
Uh, when Takeda was announced dead, Shiomi and all of her ninjas promptly vanished. Gone. No recorded history. Nothing written down. All they can do is fucking guess. Wow. Yeah. There's nothing. So, some thoughts. Many theories exist as to what happened, such as she was killed by a neighboring clan who figured out what was going on, uh, or dissolved everything, sent everyone on their way, and went to live a life in peace, (laughs) which is what I'm going to tell myself she did. I don't know, for whatever reason, when you're, like, dissolved, and it just, like, hung there for a minute, I was like, she didn't just dissolve into liquid. She dissolved into thin air, and that's the end of that. No. No, no. She dissolved the whole academy. Um, She dissolved the academy and moved on to a life of peace, which I... I like that option. Fucking hope so. Or she herself killed Takeda. All right. The details surrounding his death were mysterious, but at the same time, the Tokugawa clan were having an uprising and dominating Japan, and perhaps they found and killed her. Oh, okay. The Tokugawa clan is also home to Hattori Hanzo, Hanzo. another okay. famous ninja who was alive at this same time. Okay. He was born in 1542. I think. Hold on, let me check. Episode eight, <laughs> people. Episode eight. Pretty sure he's episode eight, right? I think so. Fifteen. Yep. Fifteen forty-two on the dot. Also known as the Demon Hanzo. Yeah. Episode eight. Perfect. So they could have found her and killed her. So she lived at the same time as wow. Hanzo. I found that I was like mind blown, <laughs> and I like literally got up from wherever I was and ran into Blake because he's playing his game, and I was like, listen. You know the lady I was telling you about last night? I was like, yeah. I was like, she lived the same time as Satori Hanzo. He goes, no way. I was like, maybe he even killed her. He goes, that's fanciful thinking. <laughs> I was like, for you, maybe. <laughs> I like that when in like when you hear different stories in history and at a certain point, they start to intersect. They were literally at direct odds with each other, those two clans. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, or those, maybe they fun. met, fell in love, got married, and had ninja babies. <laughs> But probably not. <laughs> the most badass warrior children of uh, history. Oh, something. my God. And they're the parents of Scorpion. Oh, <laughs> sorry. A little baby Scorpion. <laughs> Actually, that would make sense. Like, mom's Actually, a ninja, dad's a samurai, little baby Scorpion. Well, he was a ninja samurai as well. He did both, okay. I was pretty sure. Well, at least that's what they made it sound like. Okay. Uh, regardless, she disappears from the record. We'll never oh. actually know as a good ninja, would never have left vital information to be discovered. And there it is. Right? Boom, smoke bomb. I know. Done. So Done from history. I also found something really fucking cool that I wanted to share with you. Okay. It's about modern-day ninjas, which are a thing. And I'm here for it. Right? Okay, I just wanted to share it with you because yeah. I was reading through this and I was like, what, what, what? Tell us all. Okay. Everything. So... Basically, the article goes into how we view these ninjas as superhumans who can, like, run on water and, like, disappear in the blink of an eye and, like, wacha, like, there and gone. And Kawakami, who's Japan's last ninja grandmaster, is kind of, they're interviewing him about this. He says, that is impossible because no matter how much you train, ninjas are just people. However, ninjas did apparently have floats that enabled them to move across water in a standing position. Get the fuck out. What? 
So they could fucking walk on water is what I just heard. I was like, wait, what? Hey, yeah, like, oh, it's so silly. Like, that's, it's we not could magic. Never, no, but we could But we did have floats that did the same thing. And you're like, that's the same fucking thing. Wow. Kawakami, listen to what you just said. <laughs> that's amazing. What? Right. Kawakami is the 21st head of the Ban? Ban? Ban family? B-A-N? One of 53 that made up the Koka ninja clan. He started learning ninjutsu which is their style, which I told you in the Hattori Hanzo episode, when he was six from his master, Masaso Ishida. I thought we were just playing. I didn't think I was learning ninjutsu, he says. I even wondered if he was training me to be a thief because he taught me how to walk quietly and break into a house. I was like, like, what the fuck? (laughs) Other skills that he mastered included making explosives and mixing medicines. I can still mix some herbs to create a poison, which doesn't necessarily kill, but can make one believe that they have a contagious disease. Oh, wow. Right? Kawakami inherited the clan's ancient scrolls when he was 18. They fucking have ancient scrolls. What? Does it sound like not the most rad D&D quest ever, (laughs) but like this is a real thing? It's a real legend? This blew my (laughs) mind. This fucking blew my mind. Remember what I told you when I asked Blake about how what what is scorpion's fighting style he goes well it's ninjutsu i was like wait what like uh-huh. they have their own style he goes yeah. well yeah and remember how he told me you have to be like invited in it's like a secret mm-hmm. they find you it's fucking true <laughs> they find you they give you the scrolls you are the you know dude you get an invite and what? then if you're worthy maybe yes. you get the scrolls man because he because this is a grandmaster right so he's true, not yeah. just any old chump off the streets He's fucking walking on water with his little floaties. Jeez, I love that. Isn't it amazing? I love that. Uh, And he said, it's common for skills to be passed down father to son. uh, But many young men were also adopted into into the ninja clans. And then he mentions how they weren't just killers like some believe in the movies. They had day jobs because you cannot make a living living being a ninja. He laughs. (laughs) Fair enough. Right. I was like, I mean, he's not wrong. And then during the day, he's a trained engineer, so he, like, in his suit, he looks like any other Japanese businessman, it says. I was like, what? He's hiding in plain sight. (laughs) I love that. Isn't it great? And basically, it just goes on to say, to wrap it up, the title of Japan's last ninja, however, may not be his alone. There's another, uh, Hatsumi is another surviving clan leader. Both of them are saying, they're united in one point. Neither will appoint anyone to take over as the next ninja grandmaster. In the age of civil wars or during the Edo period, ninjas' abilities to spy and kill or mix medicine may have been useful. But now we have guns, we have internet, and much better medicines. So the art of ninjutsu has no place among the modern age. Oh, wow. Is that not like the saddest thing you've ever heard? It's like the last samurai sort of stuff That's, there where it's just like... But so much better yeah. and worse. <laughs> worse that we're losing it better because it's sweet as hell. He decided not to take a protege and simply teaches ninja history part-time at a university. Uh, Hatsume teaches people in class. Like, you can go learn his art. Okay. I'm not sure if he's still alive now. I'd have to double-check when the source was from. Uh, Despite having so many pupils, Hatsume, too, has decided not to select an heir. My students will continue to practice some of the techniques that were used by ninja, uh, but no one will be destined to succeed the clan. There is no such person, he says. Wow. What's that source again? You can read the source now. This is a BBC. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is BBC. This was from 2012. 2012. So Okay, yeah. So that was 10 years ago, so they're probably not. 
I'd love to think he's alive, but probably not. But uh, yeah, and they even go through, obviously it'll be in the show notes because it'll be one mm-hmm. of my things, but incredible, absolutely incredible. I read this and I was like, what? Mind was blown absolutely wide open. That was great. Great Thank information. You. What a great story. I've that wanted so to do fun. a ninja story for so long. So when I like read in this, I was like, what? Damn, girl. I, I looked this up just now because I was like, there's something about female ninjas mm-hmm. called uh, Kunochi. Yes. They mentioned that. I forgot to write it down. <laughs> okay. This is from mysterytribune.com uh, in their, it's in also their article, in that, Kunochi. Uh, North Shore. Oh, okay. Well. Mm-hmm. A closer look at the female ninja spies of old Japan. Okay, so what they say is, in Japanese, kunochi means nine plus one. The interpretation of this phrase is that a woman biologically has ten, so nine plus one mm-hmm. holes in her body compared with the man who has nine. Because we have vaginas, folks. That's what that's saying. Weird, okay. Isn't that weird? It's just kind of odd. an odd thing to pick out. Yeah, that, that's like, well, that's how we're going to name them is it's like Kunochi because it's 10 plus one or it's extra plus bodily orifice. Yeah. I wonder if they're thinking because like that's a weapon. It was here anyway. Yeah. Seemed to lend them plenty of mm-hmm. uh, assistance. Thank you, Katie. That was so much fun. Thank you. <laughs> it was. I mean, I hope you enjoyed that. Like as I was just learning all of this, like that came up and I was like, hold up. <laughs> I need to process what I just read. You mean this is a thing? So basically, as soon as we raise up enough money, I'm going to have a GoFundMe. I'm going <laughs> to go over there. I'm going to learn this stuff because that sounds fucking awesome and too good to be lost. What uh, university is that? That the he's teaching the classes at? University, like MIA. Oh, okay. Nope, MIE. I can't fucking spell or speak. I apologize. I've been drinking. That's why I get excited and then I just start swearing every other word. I apologize to all of our listeners who have to listen to it. Um, So, answering Kawakami uh, teaches ninja history part-time at MIE, so my university. It doesn't say what town it's in, but Mr. Hatsumi, he was 80 when at the time that this was written, but he could be 90 and still teaching. Sure. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you to everybody here. Gosh, I hope I hope you guys all had fun with that one. Hopefully. I had a a warrior woman adventure. We really did. It was very Mm -hmm. much so. That's kind of why, like, when yours is like, well, we're not sure what happened. And I was like, well, shit. (laughs) Same here, man. And, yeah, unfortunately, that's something you'll see. Especially in the older older stories. stories. Yeah. And if if it's a woman or someone that was, like, not considered um, kind of first-rate sort of citizen or, you know. Well, we're not even sure, like, I mean, just go back even, like, Chengis. We don't know where he's buried. Yeah. We think we do, but, well, the Mongolians aren't saying. Yeah, that's right. Also a land I'm going to journey to. I'm going to learn ninjutsu in <laughs> Japan. I'm going to move over to Mongolia. Live your life, girl. I'm just here for it. it. I'm going to learn it. some sweet wrestling. I'm going to be an archery master. I'm pretty close now, but I'm going to brush up on my skills. Do it. So just a reminder, we've got the giveaway going on uh, for the things they've seen. Our guest in our previous episode, Daniel Burghardt, um, we're giving away his book. So follow him and us on Instagram and then write us a review on whatever platform you listen to. Take a picture of that review and send it to us via a DM, <laughs> Instagram or whatever. And then also uh, check out Alec 
at the Life and Times of Frederick the Great podcast. He is giving away half of all of his ad revenue to relief and aid in, in Ukraine while the conflict goes on. And so um, give him a listen. Help him help the people of Ukraine, really. Yes. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, get money, get high, give love, and smoke bomb. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing on whatever platform you get your pods. It really does help us so much and also helps others find us and join our weekly history party. As for the socials, you can find us on Instagram at Hightailing History and on Facebook at Hightailing Through History or with the username at Hightailing History. You can contact us at HightailingHistoryPod at gmail.com. Have a great week, folks.